Welcome to the Kevin and Fred Show. I am your host, Kevin Kaufman, and along with my business partner and co-founder, Fred Weaver, we bring to you our podcast, The Kevin and Fred Show, where once a week we bring to you a expert interview every single Monday. We interview one of the brightest and best in the world, usually in, in the real estate space, sometimes in technology, sometimes in entrepreneurship, sometimes just in forward thinking. The things that are going to help us learn to move forward are the things that we're interested in bringing to you on this podcast. So we don't keep it limited to just real estate agents. And I think you'll find that really valuable if you've been listening or if you're a new listener, all in the same. We also bring you once a week something we call industry headlines, which is a look at what is going on in the real estate world, what's happening in the mortgage space, what's happening in the technology space, bring that to you in a short form. 10, 15 minute podcast at the most once a week on Wednesdays. We're also a proud member of the industry syndicate family of real estate and mortgage podcasts. Check out that app in the app store. Again, that's industry syndicate. And if you would, please do us a favor, please, please, please leave us a review, download, subscribe, share an episode with a friend. We would love it. There is no better way to say thank you, except for maybe a real estate referral, because we are, after all, real estate agents, and we love real estate referrals. We're based in the Phoenix area and would love to hear from you. Thank you for tuning in to The Kevin and Fred Show. Hey, it's Kevin and Fred. Do you have a referral for us here in Phoenix? There are 30,000 agents here that you could send them to. Why us? Well, for one thing, we'll keep you updated and you'll never have to track down your commission. We'll also make you look really good to your client. And best of all, it helps us keep all this content free. So go to kevinandfred.com slash referral to make the introduction. We'll take great care of them. Hey guys, welcome back to another edition of the Kevin and Fred Show. Today, I am joined by note buying expert Scott Carson. Scott and I met um, in a unique way, well, unique for me, and, and at least for having guests on this podcast. We we connected over LinkedIn, and after seeing Scott's background and history, I knew I had to get him on the show. Scott is the founder and CEO of a company called We Close Notes. We Close Notes is based in Austin, Texas, and they they specialize in buying defaulted notes. Uh, so they go out and they find non-performing notes on residential and commercial properties, and they purchase those notes for their own portfolio and then service them. And in some cases, flip them. Uh, some cases, work out new arrangements, all sorts of different exit strategies, which we talked about quite a bit here. He's also got his own podcast called The Note Closer Show, which has millions of listeners across uh, the world. Scott is also an investor, entrepreneur, marketer and featured speaker. He's a cool guy. He brings a lot of energy. I think you're going to dig this. Uh, I know I definitely enjoyed this conversation. So without further ado, I bring to you Mr. Scott Carson. All right, guys, we're back with another episode of the Kevin and Fred show, uh, expert interviews. And today I'm joined by Scott Carson of um, the note closer show and Scott, first of all, I just want to like start off with um, talking about how you and I met. We actually met on LinkedIn, right? You you reached out. I saw that you you run a company where not only do you buy mortgage notes, but you are helping others to buy mortgage notes and kind of learn that game. And that just jumped off the page at me. So I'm excited about this conversation, man. Well, I am honored to be on here and to serve your audience today. And, uh, you know, yeah, LinkedIn is a very powerful tool out there for, for those out there. We use it a lot for 
in our business, not only help me get booked on more podcasts, but also add people to our podcast and connecting the podcast family. So welcome to this. We're, we're podcasting brothers now, whether you believe it or not there for you. And, uh, you know, that's the big thing. We use it a lot to book with uh, banks and asset managers that I'll get into in a little bit here to, to really drive our prospecting for real estate deals versus a traditional type of, you know, yellow letters, door campaigns, uh, you know, bandit sign stuff. We do it all very evergreen these days. Awesome, man. Well, I'm excited to dive into some of that stuff. But before we do, like, give us the, uh, give us the pitch. Like, who, who, who is Scott, man? How, like, who are you? And, you know, where'd you grow up and kind of get into the business? And let's take it from there. So Scott Carson enjoys uh, Crown Royal and Sprite and Limes. <laughs> a good Cuban cigar on a Saturday night. Now, Solid. Uh, I like my chicken fried. Uh, <laughs> now, I, uh, previous mortgage banker financial advisors. I graduated from college with a business degree and, and, and kind of got into the banking side. And a buddy of mine um, started a mortgage company back in 2004. So I started working with him. And for four years, it was kind of unique as I had kind of a, I'd say a paid apprenticeship, an internship. I was doing mortgages. We were doing, you know, investor loans in 30 states uh, in the heyday of mortgages, 2004 up to 2008. But I was very fortunate that the, the sponsoring broker for a mortgage company was traveling the country, teaching creative financing, owner financing, wraparound mortgages, subject to financing, and then also distressed notes and, you know, buying notes and paper from banks. And so for four years, I really got a chance to learn that side of the, the real estate business on the investing side where I was doing traditional mortgages and stuff like that. And then of course the music stopped in 2008 with everything. And I sold my half of the mortgage company for a dollar, probably um, got overpaid for it. <laughs> With the market I was, was going to say, you probably got like, you got top of the market value. There. I got top of the market value. Yeah. For my, my share and whatever. But then, and then I just started jump, I jumped ship and I started uh, doing, started dialing for dollars, you know, started making phone calls to the banks and asset managers that we had originated from. And I was creating loans for going out and starting to reach out to them to see what they had in their books. That was ugly. You know, I had some hair on it that uh, their problem mortgage borrowers that they want to get rid of and just started getting lists sent to me. We started cherry picking those those deals by buying the debt at a big discount back then, pennies on the dollar, and then becoming the bank and then and trying to work out some sort of agreement with the borrowers to either keep them in their house. It's okay. So you want to stay, you got to pay. Let's figure something out that makes sense. Yeah, I know you owe 150 grand and your house is worth 70. Let's let's create something that makes sense here. Because I bought it at like five, you know, five, 10 grand. And then, you know, I was getting these lists all across the country, could do it all. So I said, okay, let me start teaching people how to do this because there's enough to go around. And uh, I got so convinced myself that, hey, I really need to get out on the road. So I sold everything I owned here in Austin, Texas. And I thought I'd jump on the road and drive around for 30 weeks to uh, enjoy the baseball season and hit all awesome. the major league baseball parks. And that 30 week trip turned into over three and a half years of nonstop travel of, of speaking at real estate investment clubs all over the United States, speaking internationally cruises and then also buying a ton of debt and i look back now it's been a crazy 10 plus year ride and we've bought over a half a billion dollars thousands and thousands of properties and notes that we bought and became the bank on but I, one thing i'm most proud of is the fact that i've helped a lot of uh, other investors out there get their toe in the water to learn that it's not as complicated as it, it you would think it would that a lot of people make it to be and learn how to be a, a debt investor so let's 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 do this let's slow down for a second um yeah. Let, let's go with the basics. So, you know, like on your website, I believe it says something like, you know, we buy and sell non-performing notes from banks and hedge funds. Let's start with that. Like the, what's a non-performing note? 
Well, there's a lot of non-performing notes right now in the industry out there, yeah. precisely. You know? Yeah, there are. <laughs> so I'm buying mortgages on residential and commercial properties. So I buy the debt. I'm only buying senior liens, first liens. And a non-performing note really is, uh, is a mortgage where somebody is at least 90 days late or more on their mortgage. They haven't made a mortgage payment. They're not in a forbearance agreement. They just haven't paid. Okay. You know, they're sticking their head in the sand. They're not talking to the banks. They're just trying to avoid the mailman and the, the 1-800 numbers coming in, my caller ID from the bankers. So I buy that debt at a discount because the bank is like, okay, we for a bank to do what they need to do, the banks don't want to own real estate, whether you believe it or not. They just want, they want the mortgage. They want the payment stream so they can leverage it. For them to take a property back as an REO is a big failure for them for the most part. Totally so, agree. Okay. So- I they built my rather, career on that premises, by the way. Yeah, same short here, sales. man. Yeah, short, oh, yeah. Like, all I did was short sales when I first got in the business. So I built my career with that solid belief that the bank did not want to own real estate, uh, no matter what any other real estate agent or any bank employee ever told me. And so it's the you're, truth. you're preaching to the choir there. It's totally the truth. I, when, we, when I was doing, started off doing this, we were doing short sales in 30 states, you know, for investors and and trying to buy the debt and then sandwiching by buying the mortgage at a big discount and proving the short sale and it coming out even sweeter in the back end to a regular buyer. So we buy the debt discount and our, we make the most of money, most amount of money though, by keeping borrowers in their houses actually. Yeah. So, so if they're, you know, 12 months behind and it paid, but then maybe they're back to work. They just can't come to that full year of back, you know, back payments. It's, I think we're going to see that in six months or 12 months when these forbearance agreements change. People, yeah, great, I want to stay, but now I can't, I, I don't have savings. You know, before this all happened, looking back six months ago, I was, you know, one in 10 Americans was already a month behind of their mortgage payments. And so we're going to, it may not be as bad as 12 years ago, but we're going to see a lot of stuff. But anyway, we buy the debt at a discount. The fact that we buy like 50 cents on the dollar, 70 cents on the dollar or less, gives us a lot of flexibility to work with the homeowners by trying to uh, create a loan modification, a trial payment plan. Uh, if they won't work with us, then we have to go the legal route and foreclose. But, you know, I just approved a short sale about 30 days ago on a property that we bought the note on a while back. The borrower had a buyer that uh, wanted to fund it needs some work. So we were able to negotiate down and, and, and make a, a win-win across the board for everybody. And that's what I do is I try to keep people in their houses by buying the debt. And, and as I, I make the joke, make America great again, one defaulted borrower at a time. <laughs> Solid. I love that. Uh, okay. So, so I, I have got a, I've got a question. I'm just going to, I'm going to scratch the itch here. So uh, why help me understand, help the listener understand why would a bank want to say, sell you their non-performing mortgage note for whatever, I don't care what the cost is, you know, whether it's 50 cents on the dollar or 10 cents on the dollar versus say, um, take it back as an REO or, or even short sell it. Right. If you like, what is that? Is there a certain thought process or type of mortgage? Like what's, how does that work? But let's get something clear. We're not, I'm not going to buy a mortgage from Bank of America, Chase, City, Wells Fargo. <laughs> They're just way too big. I mean, even though I know the right, pars, the right person at Citibank and I've talked to a couple of them, they're not going to sell a, a one-off mortgage. It's not in their value to sell it because it's all you know, back, mortgage-backed security, stuff like that. But there's a lot of regional banks, a lot of smaller banks, creating stuff like that. That'll, that and a bank would rather sell you a note off at 50 cents of the dollar to an investor like me because they recap 50%. They'll write that other 50% off and they can go out and by the way that they, uh, the velocity of capital making loans and leveraging funds, they can make that 50% back roughly in 12 or 24 months versus taking it and then 
then having to pay usually two to three times to foreclose what it would cost you or me. And then of course, if they got to repair the property, that's going to cost a buttload of money for them, which they don't want. They want the cash flow. So if a property sitting on the market for six, 12 months, it's, it's a, it's a hundred grand, 150 grand of their money that they could have probably flipped 10 times in the mortgage markets. Yeah, correct. So correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong here too, cause that, you know, I'm going to for a second pretend like I know what I'm talking about, even though I don't. Um, so, I mean, that's like that I was almost at hashtag fr- fractional banking, right? It's, it's like yeah. more valuable for them to take the call it the 50 cents on the dollar, relend that out, take the write off for the other 50% because it's not like they only can lend out $1. It's like when they get a dollar back, what is it? They can lend out, was it 10 or whatever the number is? So here's a scary number. Back in 2010, the banks were leveraged 15 to one. So for every dollar they'd come in, it was at 50, it was lent out 15 times. What, what do you think the number is now? Take a, yeah, take a wild guess. I literally, my stomach literally just dropped at 15 to one. It's, I'm guessing based on that, based on the look on your face, 20 to one. Try 52 to one. So for every bank, for, so for every dollar I have, say in my savings account, if you will, they can lend out fifty-two. Or they, that, that's, they, that's what they have lent out. They've got the the, the Ill ability to lend it out, to leverage it at roughly in the fifties. When you look at everything and how they've all got it set up, that's why banking is always the biggest companies for the most part. Yep. So I said you learn the the leverage aspect of things, and if if they're lending you fifty cent, if they're lending you half a percentage point on your savings account, okay? Half a percent, but they go out and they're making, they lend it at a car note at say 6%, let's just say their mortgage at 6%. That's not five and a half times, okay? Or that's not five and a half percent interest difference. That's 550% difference. Yep. That's why banks, and, and it's good to be the bank. And what's un- unfortunate, Kevin, everybody that's listening to this, everybody's listening to this podcast episode or watching this video or listening to whatever, Everybody's in the note game already. If you've got a mortgage, a car payment, student loans, credit cards, medical, you're in the, you're in the note game. You're just on the wrong side of the payment stream. All right. My goal is for, is to get more people on the right side of the payment stream, receiving versus the giving. All right. Yeah. So how does, so, okay, gosh. So give, so give me some more info on that. Like, so how, how do people get more in, or I should say they're already in, we're all already in. How do we yeah. get back? How do we get to the right side of the, of that game? So that's, that's a really good question. And if you, we can take it a couple of ways, if we go the traditional, um, just regular mom and pot, there's a, a lot of great things out there in buying, even by performing loans, loans that have been performing where people haven't lost, you know, lost their jobs or their somebody owner financed a property and they've been paying on time. Uh, you know, that, that could make you an eight to 12, eight to 15% return on investment for you. Um, if you're wanting to be a little bit more aggressive, non-performing where you're doing the workouts, but then you've got to add in the legal side of things. I mean, you're going to buy stuff a whole lot cheaper. The underlying property still has the value. They may be way upside down in their mortgage, but the underlying property, they just got to work with the homeowners. And that's going to vary on your time frame and costs on a state by state basis. So you're in Arizona. Arizona's got a pretty relatively faster foreclosure market. Not quite as fast as we here in Texas. Yeah. 21 days to foreclose here. But you sure you don't want to buy debt in New Jersey, which take you two years to foreclose. Yeah, or California. Well, now California has been a little bit of a mixed bag the last couple of years. Was I think it was three years ago they changed the homestead laws. So if it's a homestead, 
it is a it is a judicial foreclosure. You got to go about twelve months to foreclose. But if it's non-occupied investment property, it's a non-judicial foreclosure, so it's relatively quickly. So it's got its pros and cons. And Cal, I mean, look, California is a land of fruit and nuts, and with all the droughts, the fruits all dried up. Just a bunch of nuts there, okay? And then you know where they're moving? They're moving to your state. They're moving to my state and buying stuff three times cheaper than it is in there in California and putting that three that two hundred extra percent in the bank. Yeah, there's, you know, it's something to go to go backwards for a second too. You said, you said something about, um, you know, kind of buying performing versus non-performing. Yep. Maybe think of um, there's a hedge fund manager. I guess I've got his memo, one of his memos right here, by the name of uh, Howard Marks, who uh, runs a company called Oak Tree Oak Tree Capital. And yep. early in his career, he like he really took off uh, do buying high yield bonds or junk bonds, right? And he talked about how like. He actually talked about like the way he made so much money was the fact that he was, he was, yeah, he was taking a little extra risk, but his payoff was infinitely higher than something like you will that seems safer or, you know, look safer anyways. Well, that's, I don't like to use safe. That's a four letter word. Yeah. <laughs> so it's risk. The thing is when you buy a non-perform, there are more moving parts. You've got to try to get the borrower back on track. And our, that's our biggest thing is trying to keep the bar back on track. So we, when we buy a non-performing note, we do a, a very extensive reach out, you know, phone calls, letters, door knockers, trying to see what the heck is going on with that borrower. That takes vendors to do that. Once you've got the skills of most real estate investors, they come from, oh, flip this house or flip or flop or whatever it might be. Those fictional TV shows that we all know aren't A&E, um, which you know, are not accurate. Um, that, that's their kind of experience where they go on to local real estate clubs and they started to, to dabble in. That's great. Note investing is a whole different ballgame. You know, um, I've seen people get hurt because they, they approached it from a fix and flip side. You've got to think of it as a marketing side. So like one of the biggest things I see a lot of people screwing up with it come over is they, they'll look at a, a, a list we get from banks. Like we'll get a list and call it a tape with a spreadsheet that may have 10 to 1,000 mortgages on it that we can cherry pick from. All right. That's, that's one big advantage I love about notes is that we're often getting a lot more deals closer to the resources at a lot cheaper prices. So they'll look at it and, you, and uh, you would, most investors, when they see a property that's got a lot of equity, they get excited. Oh, that's got a ton of equity. I owe the bank less. With us, that's a big no-no for us. Because if we were to buy that note, most of the banks, when there's a bunch of equity, they'll sell that note close to payoff. They won't give you a big discount saying, oh, you'll get paid back. So let's use some numbers. $150,000 valued house. Guy only owes hundred. They're probably the bank would probably want us to buy that like at 90 cents on the dollar, which is not a good deal because when I have my costs in there to foreclose, my maximum bid at the auction could be my payoff amount, which might be a hundred. Okay, which that's not really exciting to make a few percentage points. If it sells for like say 140 the auction and my payoff is 110, well, that extra 30, 40 grand doesn't come to me, that goes to the borrower. So a lot of people make those types of mistakes, not know what they have. You always have to approach it from a banker's mindset. And it's a different mentality. I don't get excited about paint and carpet. I look at dollars. I look at, you know, a spreadsheet and formulas and stuff like that to figure out. I mean, obviously value is important. Condition of property is important. I mean, that's, that's a big thing too, is that we are not going to get interior views of, of properties. There's somebody living in it most of the time. So we have to make our bids based on the idea. Okay. What's it, what's the exterior look like? What can we learn? from evaluating the loan file by looking at the, the servicing notes that the, the borrower had with the previous bank, any notices, any other documentation from when the borrower took out that loan and determine, okay, you know, we know we're gonna have to put paint and carpet in almost every house. 
we take back a little bit of a cleanup, you know, and it's a, it's a rule of numbers. And we know that out of say 20 notes we buy, we may only have to do some heavy rehab on two to three if you really know what you're looking at. Um, and I actually, you're going to make more money and have it easier actually buying occupied assets versus vacant assets. The vacant properties, uh, we all know what happens with vacant properties. You know, the yeah. air conditioning goes on vacation. The <laughs> copper goblins showed up. If it's in like a northern part of the country, your uh, basement becomes an indoor ice skating rink, you know, or water feature, you know. So it's it's a different mindset. You got to really know your due diligence, and you got to kind of re- you got to learn the business like short sales. That doesn't come easy. You got to learn the ropes. You know, it takes a little while to do it, like anything else. So, yeah, let me ask you, uh, like you mentioned, like uh, you know, most people they when they think of like real estate investing most people go to flip, you know, that's the first thing in their mind, maybe wholesale or, yep. or flip or, you know, and my, my hunch is probably the third thing they go to is, is rentals right now, yep. right now, excluding the kind of the COVID-19 just for, for, um, for context, we're recording this at the end of May, 2020. So in case you're listening to this in the future, we are uh, still not quite out of the uh, COVID-19 situation. Um, so but this would have been relevant three months ago, maybe Airbnb, right? Uh, from like a, a short-term rental um, type of viewpoint or mindset. Why? I don't want to say why one or over the other, but why? Like, why would somebody choose to go down the road of investing in notes versus, say, flipping property or or even buying something for uh, for rental, whether short-term or long-term? That's a, that's a great question. I'm so glad you asked that. So here's the thing: in the note space. You know, nobody calls the bank when little Timmy flushes the the birdie down the toilet. Okay, um, I'm not having to deal with toilets, tenants, and trash outs for the most part. So I don't want to get those phone calls. It's up to the borrower to make, make up the property to keep the assets up. You know, to make sure everything's repaired, stuff like that. So we get paid. The bank always gets paid. That's the beautiful thing. And so the fact is, a lot of people don't want. I get tired of doing that over a period of time. They get tired of sending in people. Yeah, they may have teams to do that, but they get tired of going in and having to make up that property, clean it out, and put new paint and carpet down. Me as the bank, and we don't have that many switchovers. If we get to foreclose, we sell the asset off. The only thing I wanna really retain, retain for the most part is performing notes, people that we've gotten back on track, because the return can be through the roof. Um, here's another thing, pricing points, we talked about this, why do people get in? A, because A, we're not having to search, and we all know it's kind of tight, it has been tight out there for people to find a deal that makes sense, right? Yep. I'm not paying above 65 cents of as is value. I'm usually paying way below that for the most part. Um, if you're dealing with distressed borrowers by sending like postcards or yellow letters or door knocking, most of the people you're talking to have one property. Okay. Me, when I talk to a bank, they have thousands of assets that usually I may get 10, may get 50, I may get a hundred, may get a thousand every quarter from one source that I can share a pick from. Now, Another thing that notes gets beat on is most people that are looking very locally. Like I'm in Austin, Texas. I haven't bought anything in Austin, Texas in 10 years, but I have bought in Ohio, Michigan, bought a lot in Florida, other parts of the country where the deals made sense. So if you don't like investing outside of your zip code, then note investing would not be for you because it's, it's more of a national mindset. I mean, you get bigger deals and there are vendors that help you out with it. So you don't have to jump on a plane or go look at the property yourself. There are vendors that'll do that for you. So, Notes can be a very systemized approach to doing things once you get up and rock and roll and you've got your kind of your bread and butter going. Uh, that's 
what a lot of people get into. We get a lot of landlords that come over here. They're tired of the property management headaches. So they would rather just convert their rentals to cash and then buy performing notes that are bringing in them, you know, 10 to 15% return or they'll buy non-performing in specific asset classes. But they can get to re-performing to see a 20, 20% or more ROI. So, um, okay. That, I, I get that mindset. What, what do you say to the person who says, yeah, but I get a, I get a tax break, right? Or there's, there's tax credits or tax benefits, if you will, to owning rental properties. Is there, um, how do you, how do you, I guess, account That's for great. that? That's great. There's nothing wrong with it at all. We do end up taking some property back. So we, if you like rentals, great. This can be a great source for you to find rental property in different okay. parts of the country to get that. But here's the thing. We write off debt every year. You know, if we paid 75 grand for a mortgage and the borrower we foreclosed out and they took off, we'll 1099 them for what they didn't pay for the difference. Um, we 1099 people for lost rent all the time. People lost payments, you know, or, or did they make a payment and then we had to foreclose and evict them or kick them out and different things. We can 1099 write off as well too. So it all depends on your asset, really what you're looking at. You want to, I'm not an account or attorney, just stayed at a Holiday Inn Express like six months ago. <laughs> <laughs> so always talk with, for some people, they just want the passivity. Other people, eh, they don't, you know, they don't want the headache they, and they have the rights. You, you know, we have a lot of people too, as they grow their portfolios, um, there's different things you can do with trusts and deferred sales trusts and things like that. They convert stuff with that, with the write-offs and things like that too, that they can be using to in buying notes too. So Awesome. Um, does, does this work for all sorts of real estate? I mean, is this just single family homes or can this be bigger properties? Like could it be yeah. mobile homes? Could it be manufactured homes? I guess might, might be the proper word. Like, here, here you go. I, I have I have bought a note on just about every asset class out there, from the little single single wide, all the way up to a you know 100 unit hotel, you know 500 unit apartment complex, uh, 34 story high rise. You know we have seen it, bought it, sold it. I mean I bought a debt. I bought a note on the truck and repoed the truck and drove it for three years too, a while back, uh, direct from a, a credit union here too. So, you know, that's the thing. Paper is around. You can buy debt on just about anything uh, if you want, uh, as long as there's a mortgage on it. You know, once it's a foreclosure, there's no mortgage, so you're not going to buy the note anymore. But, yeah, I, I've, I'll tell you a funny story. I bought a mobile home, a note on a mobile home park in Las Vegas that when I sent the due diligence guy out there, he's like, well, it should be a, a commercial asset. I'm like, is it a park? He goes, no, a lady of the night is running it. So it's cash flowing on an hourly basis. Okay. I started laughing at that. Yeah, we bought a uh, – about a 70 unit apartment complex in Miami beach a, a while back, 10 years ago from uh, oceans bank. And it, you know, we bought it for a, a nickel basically. And it was worth about two nickels because of all the, the, the crap into it. But once we cleaned it out and we found it, a developer came in and bought it from us at 20 cents of the dollar. And it was, there was never, there wasn't even a single tenant. It was completely vacant. Wow. So, you know, you know, and what you have to realize everybody, people it's May, 2020, we're going to see an increase in distress debt. We're already seeing that. We talked about that earlier. There's so many uh, forbearance agreements. You know, we expect 20% of the population to be on unemployment for an extended period of time. You know, small businesses are going to fail. Commercial is what's taking the blood, the, the most recent bloodbath. I mean, you look at retail, you look at all these uh, commercial mortgage-backed securities that the market lost $50 billion in March on. I mean, it went to zero, basically. Yeah. A lot of commercial spots coming up and a lot of commercial papers available that you'd probably be able to pick up at a nickel, 10 cents a dollar. You just got to be able to do something with it here before too long. So a lot of people make really good money on the note space by picking up commercial assets that are vacant and then re 
branding them, recreating them, turning them something else. I think you'll see a lot of uh, these big box stores get turned into stuff storage facilities because people will need a place to put their crap <laughs> that they bought from Amazon and can't return or <laughs> what they got there, the Corona crazies that they spot something from Amazon every day because that's how they itch their itch while staying at home in the pandemic. But that or you'll see a lot of these bigger office departments that get bought up and then get recast uh, as um, executive offices or virtual office space for the most part, you know. You know, there's a lot of interesting people. People are taking, uh, I got a buddy who's buying uh, up old buildings that used to be old, you know, smaller Walmarts, buying the debt on those, and then turning those into storage facilities for your big uh, semi, I, I, I can't even think of this, the larger storage containers. You know, oh, yeah, okay. like, and using those in, in rural locations. Uh, or people that buying old, um, picking up the debt on old uh, hospitals and turning them into assisted living facilities in your smaller towns by buying the debt. So yeah, there's a lot of things. I know everybody asked me if they can buy notes and apartments and yes, you can. Uh, I think apartments have been the most overpriced asset over the last like three to five years, but a lot of people overpaid for assets, especially apartments, I'd say in the last 12 to 24 months with the idea that they'll be able to get refinanced out in 24 to 36 months. We know that's not going to happen. We now know that that is not going to work out the way they had, had exactly. hoped they would. So when their mortgage comes due in three years and they have to have a capital call bringing another 20, 25% cash, it's going to be exactly like what happened. When I first started out buying notes, I was buying mostly apartment loans at you know, 30, 40, 50 cents on the dollar from some big names. I'm not going to drop any names in the industry out there, but you would recognize them. I dropped them and it just, they sold them. We bought the debt. We got them to sign the property over to us. We regentrified the asset, released up and resold it all off or, in commercial debt, the beautiful thing is that you have the right to start collecting rents versus a, a single family home. So when we bought commercial loans, where there was tenants in place, we took over receivership of the asset, managed it, got the cash flow, while we took it to the foreclosure auction and then sold it to the foreclosure auction and made a pretty penny. So. That's awesome. Long Once, answer to a short question. Sorry. No, I, no, I love it. That's great. So, I mean, let me ask you this is, as we're starting to wind down. Um, what I'm hearing, or at least what I think I'm learning from you is that uh, you know, the person who goes out and does like say wholesaling or flipping or even long-term rentals, that's just, it's a, maybe it's a different mindset, right? Like you are, you're not necessarily looking at the asset, like, like the building itself, but almost like as the spreadsheet itself, right? The numbers, if you will, uh, that make it make sense or make it not make sense. How do you, like, what are a couple traits, if you will, that you've seen over the years that um, show up as, you know, good or positive traits in terms of being this uh, type of investor who might want to pursue going and buying notes? So it's probably usually to talk about the type that don't do well. Okay. So, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> okay. So there are like 10 different exit strategies when we buy a note. We can get it either reperforming or modified or deed in lieu, cash payoff, short sale, wholesale, resale, foreclosure. Let somebody take it over subject to, you know, there's 10 different strategies. Engineers have a really hard time calculating 10 exit strategies on a spreadsheet. Don't get me wrong. Some have tried it, but you have to be a doctorate in Excel uh, to figure that out. So a lot of times, no offense, engineers will overthink things because they don't have that one course of action where they have everything documented. We all know there's different expenses with that stuff. So while we do have some engineers, a lot of them like, I can't figure this out. It's too confusing. They, they, you know. So what, who are short sale people usually like this because they understand getting something shorted, you know, short sale is just a, a loan qualification, a loan dequalification package. Okay. Yep. 
It's exactly so you know, what I called it. Yep. Done so many of them. So you, it's similar like that. Title people do really good because you're checking to see what's in title. You know, we still have to, you know, pull values. Um, landlords do okay. You just have to try to remove the emo emotional uh, aspect of that. Same thing with fixing flippers. You have to remove that OTSC syndrome, as I say. The, oh, that's so cute by looking at the picture of the property, okay? So people that understand mindset, they understand cash flow, mortgage brokers, guys, you know, finance guys do really well because it's a numbers-driven industry. Um, and then, you know, the more you delegate off, the more you make in this business, more than anything else. And so if you're trying to do it all yourself, um, you know, we, there's plenty of investors out there that are, oh, I, let me take, let me rephrase it. All investors are egomaniacs, okay? <laughs> we all are, okay? I, I say that here as like a card-carrying member, but what it is, is that you have to learn to let stuff go. You have to delegate stuff out to vendors and team and experts. If you try to do it all yourself, like fixing and flipping a property, you're going to end up hitting the bandwidth and not be able to really manage more than like 20 individual notes. Um, that's the number, you know, 20 to 30 for those that are really seasoned because there are moving parts with, okay, making sure that there is the taxes are being paid, making sure that they still have insurance on the property, making sure that payments came through this month. You know, so you want to have a good bookkeeper, good accountant, with that, they usually do pretty good. We get some accountants that dabble in this stuff, but for the most part, you know, if you love numbers, this is is kind of the niche for you for the most part. And you don't like the the working, you know. I hate rehabbing property. It doesn't mean I didn't do a bunch of it here in Austin years ago, but my my best way of making money is being on the phone and dropping an email blast out to five thousand asset managers to get a list sent to me that I can cherry pick. I can make fifty offers, knowing that probably half of them aren't going to get accepted or countered but I'll control those 25 that come back and accept. And then I can have 30 to 60 to 90 days to raise capital, take down those 30 assets. So. Very cool. Um, all right. That man, that was, that was a lot to take in in a short period of time, Scott, where if somebody who's listening to this, cause you know what, I want some more information on this. I want to learn more about this uh, or even just connect with you. Where, where can people do that best at? Really easy. Um, we go to weclosednotes.com. That's my main website, weclosednotes.com. You can find out our podcasts that we have, our, our free informational webinars that we do every Monday night for the most part. And then, of course, the uh, the Note Closer Show podcast is the uh, – we just celebrated our 600th episode last week, actually. Whoa. Um, nice yeah, job. Thanks, man. And we crank out a lot of content there, bring out a lot of guest vendors and experts and in the note field and the – real estate field and then also entrepreneurial field to kind of because it all we're all business owners we've all got same issues you know um so we we like to bring in a lot of, a lot of guests but i also teach a lot on um, there on specific niches and things that happen in the note industry very cool i love that all right so note closure show podcast and then uh one more time what's the url for your main website we, we close notes.com we close notes.com Awesome. Well, Scott, I appreciate it. Before we wrap up, any any final like parting words or something we should have talked about, I should have asked you about? Well, I should say that Kevin should have asked all of you, if you like what he's doing and like this episode, to go on over, make sure you hit the subscribe and leave a five-star review for Kevin. Uh, we as podcasters, that's our yes. rubbing our head like the good boy. Good boy, good girl. You did a good job. I'm going to leave your review. So please do that for Kevin. He didn't bribe me. He will later though. But no, uh, just, uh, here's, here's the thing. Note invest, everybody, great way. It's been around from the beginning. Um, just learn it's like anything else. It just takes a little different type of education, spend time on there. It's not as difficult as you would think it would be. If you love it, the movie, The Big Short, Too, Too Big to Fail, you, you, you'll love note investing. And I'll leave it at that. 
That's awesome. All right, guys. Well, thanks a lot for being here uh, and uh, spending the time with us, Scott. And uh, listeners, we'll talk to you again next week. Have a good one. Did you enjoy today's podcast? Join the Kevin and Fred community, part of EXP Realty, and partner with us today. You'll get free access to live trainings two or more times a month, live events and in-person masterminds, digital downloads to help you run and scale your business, and much, much more. To learn more and join our community, visit kevinandfred.com slash contact and contact us today. Not ready to join our community? No problem. Continue enjoying all this great content on our podcast for free.